You don't sound that tired to me, if I'm honest. That's because I'm high on drugs. Well, actually, neurofren cold and flu, which is perfectly legal, except in Hong Kong. But I bought it in the UK, so it's fine, except that I'm in Hong Kong. It's quite drastic, the difference. So, <laughs> when I opened the door of the flat, what was your initial reaction? You look fine. I looked fine. I did not look fine when I woke up this morning. I really did not look fine. So is this all the makeup? Oh, jeez. I woke up this morning and I looked in the mirror and I thought, wow, I do not look good at all. My face was sagging and I had huge bags under my eyes. I looked both tired and old. I looked like a really tired old man. Old man Mike. Old man Mike. Some might say that's accurate. You have not recalled how you looked last year. How did I look last year? You first moved to Hong Kong when I was about to change job and I was like full of energy and like, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Full of youth. (laughs) Full of youth. And then there was the reality of the new job and like this complete doom spiral. And then I changed job again. And then there was the crushing realization of what the new job was like, but I just changed job so I couldn't change job yet again. And the slow descent into madness. Yeah, your skin was a lot blotchier, more broken. Yeah, it's fine now, unless you've put in, you know, you've got foundation going on, put some blusher on. No, I'm not wearing makeup. Don't need to do that for me, you know. (laughs) I'm not talking about, like, the quality of my skin. I'm just talking about the fact that my skin is hanging off my skeletal face, like I'm some decrepit, you know, OAP. You really wait till you're a decrepit OAP, and you'll, you'll know what sagging skin really looks like and feels like. Stop complaining, please. Stop complaining. <laughs> Maybe I'm just hanging around too many young people. All these people who are just flaunting their youth in front of me. Get off my lawn. So what did you actually want to talk about? I'm talking more about... <laughs> I want to talk about you now. Oh, apparently your diet's not working out and you've had another, another moment where you've had to unbutton your shirt under a sweater. What? No, no, no. There's only, there's only the time when... It, we already talked about the time my shirt exploded. Yeah, but what happened in, during Infinity War? Oh. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. You're right. I went to see Infinity War, and we went out for dinner beforehand. And, yeah, my shirt was in danger of exploding again. And I was thinking, crap, I've already lost one shirt to the belly can't lose another one luckily it was dark in the cinema so i just had to like unbutton my shirt i didn't even have a jumper on this time because it was hong kong and it was really hot so it's like sitting there in the cinema with this like open shirt gut hanging out gut hanging out yeah because you know when i'm standing up it's okay but when you're sat down your your belly is kind of protruding so you're not alone i know your pain i had a gut even in my 20s and i was still wearing ill-fitting shirts in my 20s thinking that's what the youth did of the day and had to do the same. Ill-fitting. I mean, yeah. they they were well-fitting before I gained this stomach. I, I've actually, you know, I'm taking drastic measures. I've actually been eating one meal a day for the past week. But that meal must be ginormous. <laughs> Nine <laughs> courses. <laughs> Shh. No, it's it's a relatively normal meal. I just, I've been eating lunch, basically. I've been eating lunch and not dinner. The buffet lunch. The, no, not the buffet lunch. I've been eating like a pret salad for lunch or something. So it's a relatively normal lunch. But then yesterday, I was planning to do one meal a day, but I got called up by some friends and we went out for Mexican food and I may have eaten a very large amount of Mexican food. But 
you know, nothing ruptured. So I guess the week of being very fastidious paid off. So I was able to eat Mexican food without any more clothes explosions. Something I've wanted to talk about for a long time is you've been doing gym for like twice weekly. For like two years. Let's do an update on that. My update is that I frequently mentioned to my trainer, I've been doing this for two years now. I can't tell any difference. He must be offended. He must be offended. Yeah, that is my comment to him. And he's like, well, you don't do your homework. And I'm like, I come here so I don't have to do homework. He did say, you are thinner. And I said, really? I've still got this belly. And he's like, yeah, but you've just like lost a centimeter of fat from everywhere else. Honestly, though, you feel fitter, healthier. Maybe. I don't know. I'd, yeah, this is just the problems of getting older, right? Because I don't feel any healthier or fitter or stronger now than I did just innately in my early 20s. Like in my early 20s, I was just naturally thin and fit and could like run and jump and punch through steel plates. Maybe that last one was a lie. But yeah, the amount of work you have to do just to try and regain whatever baseline health you had in your youth. You really didn't have health back then. You just had the appearance of health. I just had, I just had natural youngness. I did actually used to do exercise back then, you know. I had to, like, go running at five in the morning and stuff because of, like, rowing things. I wasn't rowing. I was the cox. This is, like, a whole other conversation that's going to be very complicated and difficult to explain. We can save that for the next pre-chat. We can save that for the next pre-chat. Okie doke. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me today Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Timothy. We're a book club for games. And today we are. Why does that need to be said? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the book club game today? What remains of Edith Finch? What is... What remains of Edith Finch? I don't like the term walking simulator. <laughs> the, the it's, term, not, it's not a positive term. The term walking simulator actually has a lot of very derogatory connotations. I actually find it quite funny that the Wikipedia article for What Remains of Edith Finch actually describes it as a walking simulator. But it also states it as a mystery adventure. Which is fitting. Why do we choose this one? Just quickly. It was my choice. I was very curious about it because it won the Best Game BAFTA Award, which I think was quite an upset. Like No one expected this game to win Best Game. I'd also seen a video specifically about one of the levels that occurs towards the end of the game. We should actually say... This episode contains spoilers for What Remains of Edith Finch. It's quite a short game. It's only three hours long. So you should probably play What Remains of Edith Finch before listening to this episode, unless you never intend to play it. Or, of course, you could listen to half of this episode and decide you do want to play it and then come back to it later. I didn't have this game. Did you have this already? 
I bought it in the Steam sale recently because I knew that I wanted to play it. So I browsed for this on the Steam store, also checked out the PlayStation store. But on the Steam store, it's tagged to 16 plus and it's got the tag psychological horror. So I was prepared immediately for jump scares. But there's no jump scares. There are no jump scares. Not really, no. We can discuss that later. Have you played Gone Home? No. Have you? Yes. Have you played any other, inverted commas, walking simulators? No. I think the first time I played Gone Home, which is probably the first walking simulator I have played, I was also expecting jump scares. And weirdly, I actually kind of expected jump scares in The Witness as well. I think we mentioned this like a few years ago. This time, obviously, I was not expecting any jump scares. And that was the correct expectation. I really didn't know very much about this game, though, before playing it. I knew about one level because I had watched a YouTube video about the cannery a YouTube vid by Super Bunny Hop, where he talks mostly about the control scheme of that level. But beyond that, I knew nothing about the story or the other levels in the game. I have since seen a tweet by Sam Barlow, and Sam Barlow is the creator of Her Story, which is another game we did for the book club a while back. And he described What Remains of Edith Finch as narrative WarioWare, which I thought was actually very clever. It is a selection of short stories that each have their own kind of game mechanic that are linked in the overall walking simulator of the house. But if you didn't have the overarching story of the house, each of the little vignettes is itself just an exploration of a mechanic. Anyway, How do you want to do this? We could just run through the story. Yeah, I think that's probably the right way to do it. To go through the house and talk about each story as it happened. So, you start the game, you're on a ferry, and you've got the diary of Edith Finch. You open the diary and you start reading. And you're transported to a pathway leading up to the house on Orcus Island. The game is narrated with Edith's inner monologue, I guess. And there's quite a cool, it's not really a mechanic, a cool presentation of text in the game. Like a recurring theme in the game is showing text in the game world and as you look at the text in the game world sometimes the text will like fall over or do something and sometimes it's just there in a particular position to draw your eye to a particular piece of the world piece of the set dressing so this is going on throughout the game and as you make your way towards the house you get your first kind of choice there's a fork in the road that can give you an achievement? Yes. Did you do this the first time, or did you actually replay it to get this? I replayed it to get this. Okay, I did it the first time. I was just like, where does the other path go? And then I got an achievement for it. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's where it goes. The same place. So you have the choice of walking through the woods or kind of walking along the upper path to the house. 
And then the house is crazy. It's hard to describe. It's a large house, but it's been extended upon in a very haphazard way. Yeah, it started out as a large family home, and it's just had additional wings and floors and annexes just bolted onto it. So it has a very interesting silhouette. Yes, it's like got this strange like tower that weird, twisting, precarious, very odd. So you make your way up to the house, and you have to enter it. So how did you get in? Did you try the front door? No, I didn't try the front door. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> I actually don't know what happens. I actually don't know if the front door opens. I assume it doesn't. But I didn't try it because I was like, I don't know about you, but I often think in this game, oh, I should explore a bit more. I don't want to go in through the obvious way. So I didn't even try the front door. I went round and went through like a doggy door or a cat flap. It was a very large cat flap. It was a cat flap into the garage. And then from there, just opened an interior door. Yes. So you did the same. Yes. I wonder if that's the only way in and you tried the front door and go, oh, the front door was locked. So much for not going in the obvious way. <laughs> yeah, we both went in the obvious way. How do you enter the building? I mean, you go through the flat, but you just press a button and you're through? Yeah, the other funny thing that happens in this game is interactable objects get a white kind of dot on them. And then as you approach them it will morph into an icon of, say, or depending on what you can do with it, if it's something you can read, it will turn into like a book, or if it's something you can move, it will turn into like a hand. So to open a door in this game, you actually have to click on it to show you like you've grabbed the object and then move the control stick to pull it open. And it's the same even if it's a book. You have to actually like pick up the book and then move the control stick to like open the book. So they've tried to give it some sense of tactile presence. It's quite cute. I'm not sure it really adds that much to it. Seeing as it's generally a binary thing. You know, the thing is open, the thing is closed. You can't kind of like do something halfway for some particular trick. Although they do make good use of it when it comes to the music box, which I think we should get to later. Yeah, you don't really notice it because I'm just pushing doors. I'm not sure. I don't, couldn't tell you how... Well, how binary that is. What I mean is it's not like you have to like open the door halfway and then peek in. No, you're going all in, yeah. You're always just opening the door or the door is shut. And then the house itself, once you go in, Edith comments that it's just like they left it. You know, she's been gone a long time and the house is still in the state it was the night they left. So there's still like bowls of food and kind of like half packed up things. How long has she been gone for? Like, I do not think a house would be in this good condition if you just abandoned it and came back like a year later. Because it is at least a year, right? I don't know. She mentions that she's not been back since the night they left. And again, spoilers, getting further on in the story, but she's had time to move out, live somewhere else with her mother, have her mother die. Meet someone. Meet someone, get pregnant. It's going to take a while. There's like bowls of food. They'd be like covered in mold. You'd have like spiders and like raccoons living there or something. Especially if I like had that dog door and just left the door open. I think actually, if we looked a little bit, we would know exactly the dates. I feel everything is quite. I, I do feel like yeah, we would know exactly the dates. They they have actually been very precise about when everything happens in this game. But sorry, we haven't done the appropriate research as usual. 
or we didn't think it was important enough? Well, I don't think it actually is that important. I mean, the thing is, even if we did do the research to find out the exact dates, at the end of the day, they want the house to look a certain way. They don't want it to be like this decrepit, falling apart, rotting house. And the dates need to be a certain distance apart in order for her to have had time to move away with her mother and her mother die and then her, her get pregnant. So I do think this is arguably slightly immersion breaking. But then many of the things in this game are actually kind of illogical if you want to think about them that way. So it's a story. It's a game about the story and it's trying to make you feel a certain way. So just making that comment for no particular reason. I don't know why I thought it was important to do it from my hard-nosed engineering point of view. Anyway, so do you want to talk about actual characters or do you want to have one more brief thing about like the setting and the family? The setting? Yes. As you make your way to the first room? Well, because the other thing you notice quite early on is that lots of the rooms in the house are sealed. There's yes. very obviously glue around the edges of the door and the doors don't open, but there are peepholes in the doors. And Edith's, again, her inner monologue will comment that her mother sealed the rooms after her brother disappeared. And her great-grandma drilled peepholes in the doors because she felt that it was important that her descendants would know the stories of the other people in the house. Since this is a big crazy family house that many generations have lived in. And, you know, big family house is one thing, but it's normal that when someone moves out or dies, that their room gets repurposed for someone else. But that's not what happens in this house. In this house, when someone leaves the house, for one reason or another, often their death due to the curse, their room is just turned into a memorial and is just left untouched. Madness. Although it makes for a cool game. But understandable. Understandable? <laughs> yeah, if you have close connection to these people and you want to remember them, actually it's a, it's one way of remembering them. I suppose it is often the case that when someone dies, you do leave their stuff. But just it's just so impractical. I mean, this is the reason the house has become this weird monstrosity. Because, you know, they need the space. If I met someone, if I went to their home, I don't know, now, now it sounds like a horror film. <laughs> That's why it's psychological horror. <laughs> and they have three rooms that are glued shut with peepholes. And with maybe, oh, yeah, maybe that would, yeah. It seems cool. Now I think about it, I wouldn't want to be, I would be, yeah, it would be different. I would be, the hairs on the back of my neck would stand up if I, <laughs> if I came across that. Yeah, cool game idea then. Let's leave it at that. And then on to the actual family members then. Yes. So... You can go and look in these rooms through the peepholes. For the first one, Molly. Edith will comment that she feels that she knows Molly, even though most of the experience she has of her is just looking at her room through this peephole. But when her mother died, she left her a key. And so you get to wander around the house with this key. You can try it on the door to the basement, but it doesn't fit. 
And the only other room you can go into is this room with a motif of whales. It's the only room that's kind of unsealed. And in that room is a book that is padlocked and the key fits the padlock. And when you open the book, surprise, it's a fake book and it's got a handle inside. And you can pull that handle to then reveal a secret passage that leads into Molly's room. Dun, dun, dun. You're right, this sounds weird already. <laughs> yeah, this is freaking crazy. So then you're in Molly's room. And there's a memorial to Molly. So it's kind of painted on this wooden platter. Yes. And a diary entry. And you read the diary. And boom, you're in Molly's memory and you're experiencing... Her, her. story. So do tell, what's Molly's story? Molly's story is... I don't know... She's in trouble. I don't know what for. She's been sent to bed without dinner. And she's incredibly hungry. So she starts rummaging around her room for things to eat. She starts off with the carrot. The the tough carrot for her pet. Gerbil? I think so. She has a bit of that. Then she runs over to her... I don't know. What you run over to first. I went to the bathroom and ate a tube of toothpaste. She seems okay with that. Then some berries f- from like a holly wreath. And then following that, is that when she makes the leap? She sees a bird and she opens her window and jumps out the window and turns into a cat. At this moment, I thought, what is this game about? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I was like, what? Because I, I really didn't know anything about the game before this. So yes, then you're a cat and you're chasing this bird. And you're just jumping from branch to branch outside the house. You eventually catch the bird and then you turn into... This is when you turn into an owl, right? Yes, that's right. And then you're flying over the landscape and you have to catch rabbits. Did you pick this up quite quickly that you had to catch the rabbits? Yes. Because you can feel them, right? There's like some controller vibration, isn't there? Well, how were you playing this, actually? What were you playing on? PlayStation. Okay. Yeah, I was playing on PC, but I was using a controller. So you had vibrations? I had vibrations. I don't have vibrations on mine, because I play it through remote play. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I think I had some controller vibration to like hint that there was something to hunt. At this stage, I still don't know what to make of this. I've gone from cat to owl. So you swoop down and you hunt two rabbits and then you you, turn into a a shark this is when you jump the shark man i mean what you you like flop down oh yeah you're a shark in the middle of a forest and you're just like flopping about when you like flop about you like flail and you roll down a hill and then land in the water and then you have to hunt a seal yes and then you successfully catch and eat the seal And then you turn into a monster. With one long tentacle, at least one tentacle. Yeah, so the bit you are in direct control of is a tentacle. And it has like funny control mechanics where you're like weaving around the room. And when you make contact with a person, you just like snatch them and pull them off screen and presumably eat them. This controlled quite well for a tentacle. Yeah, the only problem I had with it was when towards the very end, you go into the pipe and you come up through the toilet and it took me ages to get off the toilet because I kept trying to like turn it 
And then Why it just... Off the, you're on the toilet? Well, you know, the tentacle comes up out of the toilet. Do you not remember this? No. So, after you snatch the captain of the ship, the next scene of the tentacle is you going through a pipe, and you go up through this pipe, and you actually emerge into the toilet in Molly's bedroom. Oh, yes. And you obviously have to try and get the tentacle to, like, slither down the side of the toilet and out the door. But I was trying to turn the tentacle to make it slide off the toilet. But because of the way the camera angle kept changing, the tentacle just kept looping around and round on itself on the toilet. And I was like, I'm trying to get this off the toilet. And in the end, I just held the control stick one direction. And that was what it expected you to do. But I guess I was overthinking it. So anyway, successfully managed to get the tentacle off the toilet. And then you slither the tentacle underneath Molly's bed. And then you cut back to her. And she she comments that she knows the monster's close. And she'll be eaten soon. And it's like, is she the monster? Or is she leading the monster to her? But she knows she'll be delicious. It's very weird and surreal. This one's quite abstract. I mean, is this where it gets a psychological horror tag from? Or maybe... There's another one. There's another story that could be... There's, there's quite a few, actually. All you really know is that Molly died. But actually, in this one, it's not very clear how... How she, she died. Like, was she poisoned by the berries? Did she jump off? Well, you know, when she jumped out the window and transformed the cat, did she actually really just fall out the window and die? But then that doesn't make sense because how would she have written the diary? Presumably she was just poisoned by something she ate. Yes, and then she was she hallucinating. hallucinating and writing this diary. I don't know, man. But well, we agreed on something. That's all that matters. Yeah, it doesn't explicitly say how she died, only that she died. And indeed... Most of the members of Edith Finch's family die. So this is the curse that is following their family. And each of the sealed rooms in the house is memorialising a family member. The memorials themselves are actually all made by Edie, the great-grandmother. And she feels that she needs to pass on these stories of the family to let future generations know about their ancestors. I mean, I guess the other thing to say is that each of the family members, as you find out about them by interacting with their memorial, has a different mechanic. So with Molly, this first one, it's been switching bodies with slightly different control schemes for each. And so the next one, after you leave Molly's room, is Odin. He's the patriarch of the family he's the one who actually came over to the u.s from norway yes now you say it it's quite a trip that is a real well especially because it's not like he came over on his own he came over with a house so you get to experience odin's fate through one of those i don't know if you had these toys when you were a child i don't even know if they still make them it's kind of like a stereo viewer you kind of put them up to your eyes and there's like a clicky handle that kind of rotates this disc. Yeah. And the disc has like pairs of images. So you can kind of see it in stereo. So this disc viewer clicky thing has just photos of the journey over from Norway. The Finches already were cursed, didn't they? They already thought they were cursed. And that's why he tried to leave the curse behind by going 
to the US. But, bring, but bringing the house. But bringing the house. And the house was cursed, maybe? Maybe the house is what brought the curse with them? But the house didn't make it. Well, the house didn't make it, but the bricks from that first house were used to build the fireplace in this house. And again, late, later we find out that the mother obviously feels like the curse is in the house. And that's why she wants to leave. He travels over from Norway with his family and the house. And then the house sinks in rough weather just off the coast of this island. And he drowns. And his son-in-law, Sven, builds the family graveyard and he's buried in it. And then builds the new house, which is the house you are in right now. So that is Odin's fate. Do you remember the transition from Odin to Calvin's room? Yeah. Is this by the pink bathroom? Yeah. Yeah, there's the pink bathroom and they mention that it's like Kay's mark on the house. This is like very 60s <laughs> weird pink bathroom. Carpet walls. Is carpet walls the right term? It's like this <laughs> giant fluffy carpet. Yes. Is that what you're talking about? The weird pink fabricy carpet. Yes. We're like, we're like almost tentacly carpet. Yes. And, oh, this is the, isn't this the book? There's like another, there's like a pop-up book. With a handle. And it mentions like the secret passage. There's a secret passage in this room. It's in the last place you would look. It isn't in the cupboard. Surprise, it's in this book. Yes. And you kind of go into a makeshift dark room and you get to see like a bit of Sam's photo development laboratory and you get to see some of those pictures hung up. And then you end up in the bedroom that Sam and Calvin shared and half of it is roped off because it's been memorialised because Calvin died. That's terrible. Terrible for Sam. Really weird. And they mentioned that Sam lived for seven years in this room with the memorial of his dead brother until he reached 18 and then left to join the army. And you remove the velvet rope and then climb up into the little, like, treehouse fort inside the room. And there's a space helmet there. And inside the space helmet is a letter written by Sam about his brother, Calvin. This is actually a really short story with a cool mechanic. Very effective. You are in Calvin's body on a swing. And... You're swinging back and forth very gently. But what's the first thing you do instinctively on a swing? You try and swing harder. I didn't appreciate that the control mapping initially. So I didn't appreciate that both sticks, each stick represented a leg. Yeah, that's the thing. But I think that's what's really cool about it. Because you kind of just are like swinging with just one leg. Because to begin with, you're going to use the left stick. Because that's the stick you move with. And then you start to swing slightly more vigorously and then you decide you want to look around and then you realize that the right stick is actually moving your right leg and you're like oh this is cool and then now you can swing 
much more effectively by using both of your legs. And you swing harder and harder and harder. And you get to hear in the voice of Sam as a child. My brother swore he'd die before he ate another mushroom. And he did. And he talks about how his brother was very determined. And how maybe if he hadn't told his brother it was impossible to swing over the top. Maybe his brother would still be alive but he doubts it. Or maybe if the wind hadn't picked up that day. So you get to swing and you swing and you swing and you actually manage to swing a whole loop around the tree branch that you're on and around and around and around and eventually you fly off a swing into the, well, off the edge of a cliff. I didn't expect this. No, it's pretty brutal. I mean, that's two, what, like 10 or 11 year olds that have died now in the space of, what, half an hour? Yeah, but this time it's, it's explicit. Whereas previously it was abstract. Yeah, it's abstract. She's died in this weird hallucination way. I mean, this time you've literally just like thrown yourself off a cliff. And everyone's had that sensation of falling. So that's a real... You don't really fall though. I don't think... he, He talks about how his brother wanted to fly and he did. You don't actually fly off the end of the swing and actually just fall off the cliff. You actually appear to be taking off. Yep. And then it just whites out. It's done very tastefully. Yeah. So they don't really show you falling and screaming to your death. You actually just kind of take off and like fly horizontally and then it fades out. And then the other funny comment I have about this one is you actually get an achievement for playing this one twice. I found that slightly weird. But the second time I played it to get the achievement, I tried unswinging. That is to say, like moving my legs in the exact opposite direction to what you would do if you were on a real swing just to see what would happen and it doesn't actually slow you down so it's like a ratchet you can only get faster which from a game mechanic standpoint i think makes sense otherwise it might be very frustrating but it shows there's no escaping your fate how do you leave sam and calvin's room you're really obsessed with all these weird connections i mean it's because this one was quite interesting because at the end of the crawl space, there's just um, a face looking back at you. Do you remember this? No. Yeah, there's just a face looking back at you. A face of what? Uh, just um, a cartoon face. Oh, this is Milton's face, right? Yeah. Because this is the other thing that's kind of implied, that Dawn, who is Edith's mother, sealed all the rooms after Milton disappeared, because she knew Milton was exploring the house. And she's worried that Edith will do the same. And you do see little hints of Milton all over the house because he was exploring and leaving like graffiti like Milton was here. And yes, there's graffiti. I think it's of his face. This one, there's actually a bookcase around the back underneath Calvin's little like overhead tree fort bit. And you can open the bookcase and slide it up. And that leads into the passage that actually opens out into the wine cabinet on the landing. So this is how you actually get back out again into the into the house. Because since you've went through that first passage into Molly's room, you've actually kind of been on a linear path through these other rooms and you can't get back out into the house where you were originally until now. But then anyway, if you go into Barbara's room, Barbara was a child star, famous for her scream. And she's, well, she's washed up at the ancient age of 16. Her movie career is already over. They tell this story 
within a room. It's very effective. There's all this paraphernalia from her movie star days and like a little bowl of fan mail. And then Barbara's actual memorial. Well, the story is told in a comic book. Tales of the Weird or something. This was really well done. Yes. So the narrator changes, the music also changes, and the aesthetic changes to follow that of the comic book. Yeah, so you're turning the pages of this comic book, and then every now and then one of the panels will be an actual 3D scene that you can control. And it's the same house that we've been exploring, but obviously back in the past, and all the rendering is now kind of cel-shaded in the form of a comic book. One of the key things that happens in the story, you need to go down to the basement, and because it's something that Barbara knew, or that's in is in the comics and the narrator reads it, the music box that's in the corridor next to the door to the basement, if you keep turning the music box handle, it actually will detach and it's actually the key to the basement door. So this is when you learn how to get into the basement. I thought it was a really clever way of giving you that information. I haven't tried sequence breaking the game to see if you can actually... Do it before you learn that. I would expect that you can't, but you never know. So this one was quite ambiguous, I thought. In terms of how she died? Yeah. It's kind of like Molly again. Like, it tells you she died one way. Like, Molly died by being eaten by a monster. And Barbara also died by being eaten by monsters, according to the comic book. But surely not. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, this is a case of an unreliable narrator. In the comic book, it says that her fans came to her, the people from the Monster Convention came to her, and she gives the performance of a lifetime or something. She gives the scream. And she's allegedly eaten by monsters, and all that's left of her is her ear in the music box. And the police think that her boyfriend, who disappeared is actually the killer. But this is a comic book. It might have gone down completely differently. It might have just been that the boyfriend killed her. It might have been she died in completely unrelated circumstances, but they just decided to make this comic book. I thought this story was very clever because I expected one thing and it gave me something else. Yeah, it definitely did. It definitely did. It was very, it was very clever. And actually, you do know that definitely there was some kind of weird home invasion monster thing because Walter, her brother, is actually mentioned in this story and he's hiding under the bed and is traumatised by whatever he saw. You know, he thinks he saw a monster and after Barbara's death, he hides in a bunker underneath the house for 30 years. This was another interesting space, I thought. As you go down to his room or space, you see all the food supplies. And as you go further in, you can see that he's got a picture frame and he's put a window in front of it. To pretend it's the outside. Which I thought was a really sweet... What's the right? Installation? It's like a little touch of home, a little attempt at normalcy. I thought one of the things that was really funny is, you know, you see him 
opening the can of peaches and there's the date on the wall and he opens another can of peaches and you can see there's like another date crossed off on the calendar and then he does another one and you can see that the year is now 2005 what and he he says that's what kept me sane i don't think you're very sane mate well i guess it's all relative he's probably surprisingly sane considering he's been living in a bunker for 30 years i thought that was really clever how they've managed to make the mundane an mundane everyday task into something that's very powerful simply by adding putting the calendar there there's also the rumbling sound every day as he's opening the can of peaches there's like this intense rumbling sound and that's what he's hiding from that's the monster and i was saying you know what do you think the monster is in this context because you know my suggestion was it's actually the train that kills him you know what would make a big rumbling sound as it goes by next to the house a train I don't know, really. I mean, you could argue that doesn't really make sense. Well, the whole, the train itself doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Because when you venture outside... There, I mean, there is a train track and you can see it going around the corner. But, like, it's collapsed. And where would the train be going anyway? It's kind of weird. But again, I guess they need a reason. You know, it's just a narrative device. I did think it was quite nice that there was a trash pile. Did you notice that when you actually leave through the ladder down into those tunnels that eventually leads to the wall that he smashes through. There's actually a pile of trash of like cans and things, which you would need. There's no way you could fit like 30 years of food in there though. <laughs> I don't know. I think this also comes under the heading of don't think about it too hard. Also, it's not very clear what ends Walter. Well, he gets hit by a train. That's what's implied, right? He he walks out, he's on the train tracks, and he says, I don't care if I've got a year left or a week or even one day, I'm going to live the life that I've got left. And then he just immediately gets like nailed by a train. Or at least it's, it's implied that it's a train. I mean, he's walking on train tracks and there's a rumbling sound behind him. You could also argue it's the monster or it's the curse. And then as Edith, you know, you're following this path, you see the memorial to Walter and now you're outside the house again and you're walking through the family graveyard. So you get to see the graves of all the people whose memorials you've been to already and you see a whole bunch of other names. So they're the ones to come. And you climb back into the house. And in fact, this is when Edith mentions, if I'd known there would be this much climbing... I wouldn't have come here when I was 22 weeks pregnant. I got really worried making that the following jump at that point. That's what they want you to do. It's foreshadowing. This whole section's foreshadowing. And now we get into Sam's room, the grown-up Sam's room, instead of the one he shared with Calvin. And it's full of hunting trophies. So this story, the mechanic is... You're using a camera. So Sam was an avid photographer. And you don't really walk around at all in this one. You just control where you're pointing and where you're zooming with a camera. And you're just taking photos of Dawn, who is actually your mother. Or you are controlling Dawn using the camera and you're taking photos of Sam. So again, this is presented slightly differently. The aesthetic or the there's no there's some filter being applied to yeah, there's like film grain. 
because you know it's an old film camera and there's a kind of like a film grain shader going on and the colors are slightly desaturated so it looks like an old photograph and is there mu- i can't even remember if there was music accompanying this in my in my mind in my memory there was to present a sort of late summer hunting trip and it was quite intimate if you will like between daughter and father and it starts off who's who's taking photos at the beginning is it sam or dawn i think it's sam and you're taking a photo of dawn because you're kind of taking the photo that you've seen around the place a few times where it's dawn standing in front of this sign for odin finch national park so once you take the photo it sort of borders the picture and then presents it in a sort of as a, a photo as a memory and then it moves on to the next scene it's quite neat and then there's the bit where you see the deer the stag and dawn has a hunting rifle and she's lining up the shot and she says i think she says oh i don't want to shoot and sam actually says oh you don't have to but then when you take the photo she shoots and then the camera is on self-timer and Dawn is there next to the deer. And as Sam, well, you are controlling Sam, but the camera viewpoint is fixed to the position of the camera. So you can see yourself just walking up to this outcropping that the deer has been shot on. And you hear Dawn commenting, hey, it's, it's still kicking. Is this normal? And he says, oh, yeah, it's fine. And he grabs it by the antlers and lifts it up. And the deer lashes out and knocks him off the cliff and at that exact moment the camera takes the photo as he's falling and that's the end did you see this one coming no actually i didn't really see it coming well, how about you i was surprised also so that last one I, I didn't even appreciate it at the time the photo's taken automatically yeah oh because it's on timer obviously duh so clever I thought a quite powerful thing is that Edith mentions my mum never told me about this. Because obviously Dawn, who's the child in this story, is actually Edith's mother. And then we're straight into more feels. (laughs) Gregory. So this is actually a handwritten note on the bottom of some divorce papers. Yes. And it's a letter from Sam to his ex-wife Kay talking about how he doesn't blame her for what happened to Gregory and then you're in the perspective of Gregory a baby in a bathtub and you're just controlling the frog and you're jumping around and you're playing with toys in the bathtub and you can see them all magically moving and being magical and childlike and amazing i don't know full of wonder no wonder bath time is so fun when you're a baby i don't know what to say about this one i mean you see Kay comes in and she drains the bathtub and then the phone rings again and it's actually sam and they're having an argument and you as gregory magically turn on the faucet again and then drown but the drowning is presented in this like fun magical way like you turn into the frog and you go for the plug and then, you know. But on, in reality, obviously, he drowned. And now, another one. So a few years later, Sam is getting married again. 
and Gus, who is another one of Sam's children, and your you know your mother's brother, declares that he's not going to attend the wedding, and he just stands outside flying his kite. And there's a big storm. So in this one, the mechanic is that you're just controlling the kite as it flies around, and you can kind of fly into the letters of the narration, and they kind of like follow the kite like its tail. And as the storm picks up, you're kind of like running into the chairs and running into things, and they kind of just like all picked up by the kite and become the tail of the kite. And then this one didn't end the way I expected. Yep, that's the same for me. Because it was a big storm, and I expected he was just going to get struck by lightning. But actually, no. He actually gets struck by some flying debris. Which is a bit nicer, it's a bit less cliched. Well, I say nicer. I mean, he's still... There's like another 10-year-old who's been killed. I mean, geez, how many of these can happen? I have nothing to add. Nothing to add? Okay. No. I mean, the setting of this one, I mean, you're in the kid's bedroom, like Sam's kid's bedroom, and there's the three, like, army cots next to each other. I guess he brought his military discipline with him when he came back. The literal cot for Gregory, the bed for Gus, and then the bed for Dawn, who then moved out when she became an adult. And this memorial is on the form of, like, a kite, kind of, like, string winder holder. And it's a poem written by Dawn, so. So now you climb up another level. There's like a climbing wall and you end up in the current generation because like the house is just like built in strata and layers and layers and layers. It's been extended as there are more births. So you get a brief explanation of Edith's father, Dawn's husband, Sanjay. And how he's an aid worker and he's killed on a disaster relief mission. And then Milton. So it's kind of like a little castle kind of turret. And it's all monochrome with like very stylized paintings inside. So on the upper level, there's his memorial and it's a flip book. And it says Milton and the Magic Paintbrush. And it shows... Milton painting a painting of a guy and the guy is kind of alive in the painting and a paintbrush pops out of the painting and he uses this magic paintbrush to then paint a door and step through it and he's never seen again. So all throughout the game up to this point you've seen missing posters saying like have you seen this boy Milton Finch disappeared age 11 The interesting thing here is that the devs confirmed Milton is actually the king in their first game, the Unfinished Swan. So if you believe in magic, it's kind of canon that the magic paintbrush is really real and he used it to like leave this dimension. 
I haven't played the Unfinished Swan. They could start linking up their future games into this. I was actually kind of tempted to buy the Unfinished Swan after this. I mean, maybe that's why they did it. They're so smart. But I didn't actually do it. It's a PS4 exclusive, and... I don't know. I just figured I've got too many other things to play already. And so now we are finally at Lewis's story. This is actually the story that I saw a YouTube video about that first made me think I should give this game a go. So the trigger for this episode is a letter from Lewis's psychologist explaining why she thinks he did what he did. And it talks about how they convinced him to give up his substance abuse. And he has this monotonous job at this salmon cannery. So, in this story, the right analog stick, or your mouse, moves your right hand. And you are grabbing salmon and moving them over to a guillotine, which cuts off their head, and then throwing them onto a conveyor belt. So... You were just mechanically doing this over and over and over with your right hand. But your left hand slash left analog stick is controlling his daydream. So he starts to have increasingly vivid daydreams. And it starts out in a simple world. And you're just exploring this labyrinth and then it becomes more 3D. And then it becomes like cities and this whole adventure. It's done really well because... They start overlapping. Your real world and your dream world start overlapping. And as you progress, your dream world just takes up more of the screen. More and more of the screen. But it doesn't stop you from doing a good job slicing the head off that salmon. Yeah, I mean, you kind of want to keep slicing the heads off the salmon because otherwise the fish kind of start to block your view of the dream world. There's also a few places where there's like a door and there's like a giant fish holding the the door shut and when you chop the head off the salmon it obviously like chops the head off the salmon in the dream as well and it opens the door so yeah you're kind of just doing these two things at once and then I didn't know how it was going to end but I was actually wondering if he was just going to become so distracted that he just like chops his arm off and bleeds to death (laughs) but that wasn't what happened so He gets elected mayor of the city in his dream world, and then he goes off down this river. This is he's conquering other cities. I particularly like the name Minneapolis. I thought that was very amusing. All the cities have the name Lewis in them. And then one thing I did actually find slightly strange is that you get a choice in this. So it talks about how he hears a story of either a beautiful prince or a handsome queen. And then the the prince slash queen is looking for radiant rainbows or is it shivering serpents and then playing either an electric sitar or a silver harp. I find it really weird that they give you this choice because nowhere else in the game do you really get a choice and the choice doesn't actually have any impact on the story. I know because I played both of them. So I, I find it really weird that they felt like they should give you this choice about whether he's going after a prince or a queen other than that they were trying to send a message of social inclusion but what about the the serpent and the the rainbows well again it's just like a really traditionally feminine or masculine kind of thing isn't it like one's very pretty and one's very like aggressive Uh, and what's the last option electric sitar 
or silver harp? Uh, I don't think it's so black and white. I went for the rainbows. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, I mean, well, the first time I played it, I went with the handsome queen searching for the serpents with the sitar. And the second time I played it, I went with the beautiful prince searching for rainbows and the harp. And they were both identical. I mean, they, they show slightly different like cardboard cutouts as you're sailing down the river. But that was it. You're right. There is no, as you put it, there is no... Yeah, I, I'm not saying it was a bad thing at all. I just found it interesting that they decided that they should give you a choice here. And it feels like they gave this choice purely to signal something rather than for any actual gameplay reason. So, meh. I don't know. I just thought I wanted to make that point. Anyway, the psychologist is then continuing to comment that he becomes more and more absorbed in the dream world. And he says that the dream world is just as real as his real physical body. And he's going to be crowned king of all the lands of Wanda. So he's come to despise the real world version of him where he's just this nobody in a salmon cannery. You stand on this conveyor that's going up to the window and it opens and it's this grand throne room and there's the coronation about to happen. It also comments that there's a wise calico that advised him and there's like a gigantic cat. Do you see that? No, I didn't see the gigantic cat. I didn't see it the first time around. I only saw it on my second playthrough because I was looking out for it because it seemed so weird that they talked about this wise calico and I was like, huh, what is this? So the wise calico is actually the family's pet cat, which is actually called Molly, which I found quite amusing. Anyway, the coronation, there's a very obvious guillotine in front of the prince or queen, whichever one you picked. And so to be crowned, you have to kneel down, i.e. put your head in the guillotine. And that's the end. This was the best one by far. I think all the stories up to now have been building up to this. Yeah, it's a good one. It's got a very innovative control thing going on. It really represents mental health in a really clever way. Because, you you know, as we've both demonstrated, whatever's going on internally has no... can have very little impact on what's going on externally. Is this the whole high-functioning thing? Yes. <laughs> because the psychologist goes to talk to his boss at the cannery that she's worried about him and the boss just goes oh he's a model employee he's very efficient because he's just like completely zoned out like a robot like chopping the salmon but his internal state is completely different is this some comment about how we are apparently high functioning at our jobs despite being very high functioning internally too (laughs) nothing wrong here but the whole idea of being able to multitask effortlessly was really well represented And I'm glad they put it at the end. Yes, because the next one is the finale. You climb up to the very top of the house and as the youngest member of the Finch family, your room is the last one to be built. It's your old bedroom. And there's a quill pen that you take out and you write in your diary the story of what happened when you left the house. So, I think your mother resolves to leave the house shortly after Lewis's funeral. And she feels that 
the house and the stories, the stories in particular, are the real curse. The great-grandmother telling the family stories of how her relatives have died due to the curse is what is perpetuating the curse and she needs to leave and she needs to take Edie away from this bad influence. And she doesn't tell Edie until the night that they're leaving that they're going to leave and that the next morning some people are going to turn up and put Edie in a home. Poor Edie. I don't think that's okay. I think that's kind of wrong. And Edie doesn't even survive the night. They actually do mention that when the people arrived the next morning, Edie had already died. And you get no closure here. Dawn and Edie are arguing. And Edith, Edith Jr. technically, because Edie is also an Edith, is exploring the house. And you get to go into the last sealed room. The first sealed room that you see is actually a library. And in the present day, in inverted commas, you can't get into it. But in this flashback memory, there's a cupboard that's open that leads in. And you get to read a story that Edie has written for you, explaining about the time when there was an earthquake under the sea and the tide went all the way out. And she finally managed to go to the original house. And she got lost in the fog and then she saw the house and then a light came on in the window and then bam, your mother comes in. What are you doing? What are you reading? And she snatches it away from you and tears it in half and you never get to hear the end of Edie's story. Because now it cuts to them leaving and her like being in the car. Why do you think? Because after that, it's very non-interactive. I don't know if you want to continue with why. Why do you think that might have been the case? What? To not give you closure on Edie's story. Yeah, I was really wondering whether there was a way to get closure of Edie's story. Like, now that you know you can get in through that cupboard, can you actually go back in the game and go in there and read it? But I don't think there is. I think that's kind of the point of the game. The mother is trying to prevent you from learning these stories to protect you. So the very fact that you can't learn that story is the story. And then it's really Edith telling her own story about how her mother got sick and then died. And she felt that maybe it would be better if she threw away this diary and didn't pass on these stories because these stories are, maybe they are the real curse. But if you're reading this now, then obviously she didn't make it and she decided to keep the book. And while this is happening, you're kind of getting this visual effect of being born, I suppose. And it cuts to the real present day and you're back to the character you're controlling on that ferry at the very beginning of the game. Surprise, double psych out. You are actually Edith's son and you were reading her diary. And you are carrying some flowers at the very beginning of the game and you're putting the flowers on her grave. And you, and the diary I suppose, are what remains of Edith Finch. The end. So neat. Now we've talked about it, it makes the game sound even better than it was already. 
Did you think it was a good game? Did you think it was the best game of 2017? I don't know. It's a really good game. It has a great narrative. And it's so complete and concise. I think the big upset was that it beat Horizon Zero Dawn, which I actually haven't played, but by all accounts is extremely good. And Horizon Zero Dawn did definitely make me think, OMG, what's happened to computer graphics? But last year also had Mario and Zelda. Yeah, last year was a good year for games. It is good. I don't want to compare it to other games. That makes it, you know, that changes the conversation altogether. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, without comparing it to other games, yes, it was a good game. I did enjoy it. And I'm glad I played it. It's really good. I don't understand. It's missing something ever so slight. It's missing something. Because it manages to pull out all these emotions out of you because you feel the sadness of each member passing and you feel the sadness of the family and the curse it's placed on itself and it brings that you know being able to play out all these stories in their perspective you really feel their pain but that's it you know it never comes to anything maybe it's just sadness maybe that's the whole point i suppose you could argue it is a bit neat that she dies during childbirth it's a bit of a cliche. It's a hard ending. It's hard to put an ending to that. It's difficult to tie it all together. I mean, I do think the reveal that the character you were playing at the very, very beginning, before you open the diary, is actually her son. I do actually think that was a very clever reveal. Maybe we've been spoiled up to now. You know, we expect something bigger. Do you think... There was a real curse, or do you think it is the stories? I mean, I know it doesn't really matter. Now we've gone through it again. It feels like the stories are the curse. You know, it's self-fulfilling. It's like you're expecting to die. And when there's expectation on that level, because you almost believe, your expectation is so great that you believe it, then, you know, the curse will follow through. Yeah, okay. I can agree with that. I have I have one final question. Was there anything that felt incomplete or illogical to you? What kind of question is that? There's many things that felt illogical in this game. <laughs> Story breaking. Story breaking. Uh, I don't know about that. I think I accepted most of it at face value. You know, I mean, it's another case of if you think about it too hard, you can find problems with it. But that's not really the point. Good. I enjoyed it. I do think if you haven't played Gone Home, you should play Gone Home. It's another walking simulator in a spooky house. And the story of Gone Home is a bit more grounded in reality than this one. But for the next book club game, Gone Home is not the walking simulator we're going to (laughs) play. We're going to play Firewatch. So this is your choice. Yeah, it's my choice. What are you going to do about it? I guess I'm going to play Firewatch. So this walking simulator is the only one I've really wanted to play. Because it's more... What's the right way to say it? It plays out in real time. It's not after the fact. Is that how I've put it to you? 
So the narrative plays out to you and you're interacting with other people. Whereas what I know of Gone Home, What Remains of Edith Finch, what's the one that's something Rapture? Everybody's gone to the Rapture. They're stories after the fact. And, that you know, they're revealed to you as you explore. We'll see. You know, I could be wrong. Let's see what happens when we play it. Yeah, we'll see. The opening scene of Firewatch is going to be like 10 years ago. (laughs) So the next book club game is Firewatch. And it's going to be another one episode deal. Yes. So for the next book club episode, finish Firewatch. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On YouTube. And Twitch as Lost Levels Club. On Reddit. Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. Mike, do you have something to be grateful for? I am grateful for Mexican food. Am I like that? I'm having that one as well. Ting is also grateful for Mexican food. I've eaten a lot of Mexican food (laughs) in the last couple of days. So Michael says bye. Bye Bye-bye.